fear that we have failed, that nothing can be done about it. The time is 22.22 on the 25th of June. You are now listening to The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol, brought to you by me. Greater Denisha Brown at Sound Mind Music for 32 Hertz. So the subconscious is the source of power. Also, it is one of the greatest realities in human life. It is rooted in instinct and is aware of the most elemental desires of the individual, yet it is always pressing upward into conscious existence. The powers of the subconscious are many, the chief of which are intuition, emotion, certitude, inspiration, suggestion, deduction, imagination, organization, and of course, memory and dynamic energy. It is a distinct entity. It possesses powers and functions with unique mental organization all its own. Now the subconscious mind has three primary functions. First, with its intuitive understanding of the bodily needs, it maintains and preserves the well-being and indeed the very life of the body, unaided by the conscious mind. Second, in times of great emergency, it springs into immediate action, again independent of the conscious mind. It takes supreme command, acting with incredible certitude, rapidity, accuracy, and understanding in the saving of the life of the individual. Third, it is operative in the psychic world in which the psychic powers of the subconscious are manifested in such phenomena as telepathy, clairvoyance, and psychokinesis, but also it can be summoned to help the conscious mind in times of great personal necessity. When the conscious calls upon the subconscious to use its powers and resources to solve a vital problem or bring to pass that which is sought or desired by the individual. It is the third function that we are most concerned with here. To draw upon the resources and powers of the subconscious and awaken it into action, you must first be sure that you are asking for something that is rightfully yours to have and is within your ability to handle. The subconscious manifests itself only according to the capabilities of the person. Then, you must have patience and absolute faith. Theodore Simon Geoffroy, the French philosopher, said the subconscious mind will not take the trouble to work for those who do not believe in it. Next, in conveying your need to the subconscious, it must be in the spirit that the work has already been done. So while it is necessary for you to feel and think yourself successful, it is important for you to go one step further and actually see yourself as already successful, either in the performance of some selected task or as actually occupying the position to which you are aspiring. For the next and final step, you must wait patiently while the subconscious is assimilating the elements of your problem and then goes about its own way to work it out for you. In due course, with the flowing of ideas and plans of the subconscious into your waiting conscious mind, the solution of your problem will be revealed to you. The correct course of action will be indicated. You must follow those indications immediately and unquestioningly. There must be no hesitation on your part, no mental reservation, no deliberation. You must receive the message from the subconscious freely, and after understanding it, you must act on it at once. Only by doing that will you make your subconscious serve you and continue to respond whenever you call upon it. 
However, your problem may be one that cannot be solved in such a manner. Instead of receiving the solution in the form of a blueprint, as it were, you may instead feel some mysterious force urging you at intervals to do certain things that seem to have no special significance or logical connection. Nevertheless, you must continue to believe in the power and the wisdom of the subconscious and obediently perform the seemingly irrelevant things. One day, you will find yourself in the position you sought through the aid of the subconscious and doing the work you envisioned for yourself. Then, when you look back, you will see how the things you were called upon to do all formed a logical line of events, the last one of which was your final arriving, the reward of your sincerest hopes and desires, your own triumphant personal success. Chapter 4 Suggestion is Power After studying the various mystical religions and different teachings and systems of mind stuff, one is impressed with the fact that they all have the same basic modus operandi, and that is through repetition. The repeating of certain mantras, words, formulas, or just plain mumbo-jumbo is common with witch doctors, voodoo high priests, hexers, and many other followers of strange cults. They use them to evoke the spirits or work black magic. One finds the same principle at work in chants, incantations, litanies, daily lessons. Also, the frequent praying of the Buddhists and Muslims alike, the affirmation of the theosophists and the followers of unity, the absolute, truth, new thought, divine science. In fact, it is basic to all religions, although here it is white magic instead of black magic. This brings us to the law of suggestion through which all forces operating within its limits are capable of producing phenomenal results. That is, it is the power of suggestion and auto-suggestion, your own to yourself, or hetero-suggestion coming to you from outside sources that starts the machinery into operation or causes the subconscious mind to begin its creative work. And right here is where the affirmations and repetitions play their part. It's the repetition of the same chant, the same incantation, the same affirmations that lead to belief. And once that belief becomes a deep conviction, things begin to happen. Now, this is the same identical force and the same mechanics that Hitler used in building up the German people to attack the world. A reading of Mein Kampf will verify that. Dr. René Fauvel, a famous French psychologist, explained it by saying that Hitler had a remarkable understanding of the law of suggestion and its different forms of application. It was with uncanny skill and masterly showmanship that he mobilized every instrument of propaganda in his mighty campaign of suggestion. Hitler openly stated that the psychology of suggestion was a terrible weapon in the hands of anyone who knew how to use it. Let's see how he worked it to make the Germans believe what he wanted them to, and once that belief took hold, how they started their campaign of terror. Slogans, huge signs, posters, massed flags appeared throughout Germany. Hitler's picture was everywhere. One Reich, one folk, one leader became the chant. It was heard everywhere. Today we own Germany, tomorrow the entire world. 
the marching song of the German youths came from thousands of throats daily. Such slogans as, Germany has waited long enough. Stand up, you are the aristocrats of the Third Reich. Germany is behind Hitler to a man, and hundreds others bombarded the people 24 hours a day. From billboards, sides of buildings, the radio and the press, every time they moved, turned around or spoke to one another, they got the idea that they were a superior race, and under the hypnotic influence of this belief, strengthened by repeated suggestion, they started out to prove it. Unfortunately for them, there were other nations who also had strong national beliefs that eventually became the means of bringing defeat to the Germans. Let's go into the field of sports where everyone who has ever witnessed a football or baseball game has actually seen this power of suggestion at work. The late Newt Rockney, famous coach at Notre Dame, knew the value of suggestion and used it repeatedly. But he always suited his method of applying it to the temperament of the individual team. A story is told that on one Sunday afternoon, Notre Dame was playing a particularly grueling game and at the end of the first half was trailing badly. The players were in their dressing room, nervously awaiting the arrival of Rockney. Finally, the door opened and Rockney's head came in slowly. His eyes swept inquiringly over the squad. Oh, excuse me, I made a mistake. I thought these were the quarters of the Notre Dame team. The door closed and Rockney was gone. Puzzled and then stung with fury, the team went out for the second half and won the game. In the Depression years, and there may be years like them in the future, we saw this same suggestive force working overtime. Day after day, we heard the expression, times are hard, business is poor, the banks are failing, prosperity hasn't a chance, and wild stories about business failures on every hand until they became the national chant. Millions believed that prosperous days would never return. Hundreds, just thousands of strong-willed men went down under the constant hammering, the continuous tap-tapping of the same fear vibratory thoughts. Money, always sensitive, runs to cover when fear suggestions begin to circulate, and business failures and unemployment follow quickly. We heard thousands of stories of bank failures, huge concerns going to the wall, and people believed them readily and acted accordingly. There will never be another business depression if people generally realize that it is with their own fear thoughts that they literally create hard times. They think hard times, and hard times follow. Dr. Walter Dill Scott, eminent psychologist and longtime president of Northwestern University, told the whole story when he said, success or failure in business is caused more by mental attitude rather than by mental capacities. Let's consider charms, talismans, amulets, good luck pieces, four-leaf clovers, old horseshoes, a rabbit's foot, and countless other trinkets which thousands of people believe in. By themselves, they are inanimate, harmless objects without power. But people breathe life into them by thinking they do have power, even though the power isn't in them per se. The power comes only with the believing, which alone makes them effective. Two outstanding illustrations of this are found in the stories of Alexander the Great and Napoleon. In Alexander's day, an oracle proclaimed that 
Whoever unloosened the Gordian knot would become ruler of all Asia. Alexander, you may remember, with one stroke of his sword, cut the knot and rose to tremendous heights and power. Napoleon was given a star sapphire when he was a child with the prophecy that it would bring him luck and someday make him emperor of France. Could it have been anything but the supreme belief in the prophecy that carried these two great men to a place in the hall of fame? They became great men because of their supernormal beliefs. Here's a simple experiment that will demonstrate to you the strange power of attraction through visualization making the mental picture actually work. Find a few small stones or pebbles which you can easily throw. Locate a tree or a post of six to 10 inches in diameter. Stand 25 to 30 feet away from it. Start throwing pebbles at the tree, trying to hit it. If you're an average person, most of the stones will go wide of their mark. Now stop and tell yourself that you can hit the objective. Get a mental picture of the tree, figuratively stepping forward to meet the stone. Imagine the rock actually colliding with the tree in the spot where you want it to strike. You'll soon find yourself making a perfect score. Don't say it's impossible. Try it, and you'll prove that it can be done, if you will only believe it. Chapter 5. The Art of Mental Pictures To become the person that you would like to be, you create a mental picture of your newly conceived self, and if you continue to hold it, the day will come when you are in reality that person. Shakespeare said, Assume the virtue if you have it not. Now let's take this great truth and follow some of its implications. In assuming the virtue, you are assuming via your imagination. But here we must make a distinction between daydreaming and a true mental picture or proper use of the imagination. Perhaps there is some genie who will drop a hundred thousand dollars into your lap or overnight provide you with a mansion luxuriously furnished. I have never had the pleasure of meeting one, but daydreaming or mere undirected wishful thinking doesn't have the power to release the latent forces within you that will bring you the $100,000 or the mansion. When you employ your imagination properly, you see yourself doing a thing and you go ahead and do it. It's the doing the thing you have pictured to yourself that brings it into actual existence. In this connection, think about the use of the magnifying glass. When properly focused, it will gather the light from the sun and concentrate it so that the heat will burn a hole in the object on which the rays are focused. It must be held steady before the heat power is developed, and so it is with the holding of the image or the mental picture. However, it is very difficult for the average person to concentrate for any length of time, to say nothing of holding on to a mental picture for any great period, you are constantly being swayed by what you read and hear, and as a result, the coordinating part of this creative force turns to gathering together all these scattered elements in a focused mass, instead of devoting itself to making a clear and dynamic picture of your desire. Often, I have thought of this matter of desire and suggestion in connection with the planting of vegetable or flower seeds. Once the soil is prepared and the tiny seeds are placed in it, it only takes a short time until they begin to root and sprouts begin to appear. 
The moment they start upward through the soil in search of light, sunshine, and moisture, obstacles mean nothing to them. They will push aside small stones or bits of wood, and if they can't do that, they'll extend themselves and grow around them. So it can be with you and the suggestions you give to your subconscious mind. The results will be pure or complex, depending upon the original seed and the attention which you give it. In other words, plant the right kind of seed and habitually feed it with strong affirmative thought, always directed toward the same end. It will grow into a mighty force, finding ways and means of overcoming all obstacles. I have been in the private offices of a great many industrial leaders, businessmen, great bankers, and others. Long before this magic of belief was understood by me, I was impressed with the pictures, photographs, slogans, bits of statuary, and so forth, which were to be found in the inner sanctums of great firms. Undoubtedly, many of you have seen or heard of such displays, but has it ever occurred to you what their purpose was? There can only be one answer, and that is, they serve as a constant reminder, getting the picture over to the occupant of the room, that he too can succeed as those did before him. In common with other great men, Thomas A. Edison obviously knew the value of the repeated suggestion and made use of it. Among the articles found in his desk was a piece of paper that said, When down in the mouth, remember Jonah. He came out all right. Edison must have thought well of that expression and perhaps reflected much upon it. So, let's get down to the mechanics. Find yourself three or four cards. Ordinary business cards will do. In your office, your home, your room, or any other place where you can have privacy. Sit down and ask yourself what you desire above everything else. When the answer comes and you are certain that it is your uppermost desire, then at the top of one card, write a word picture of it. One or two words may be sufficient. A job, a better job, more money, a home of your own. Then on each card, duplicate the word picture from the original. Carry one in your billfold or handbag. Place another alongside your bed or fasten it to your bedstead. Place another on your shaving mirror or dressing table and still another on your desk. The whole idea, as you may have guessed, is to enable you to see mentally the picture at all hours of the day. Just before going to sleep at night and upon waking in the morning are two very important moments of the 24 hours in which to concentrate upon your thoughts with added force. But don't stop just with those two periods. The more often you can visualize the desire by this method, or one of your own devising for that matter, the speedier the materialization. At the start, you may have no idea of how the results are to come. Don't worry. Just leave it to the subconscious mind which has its own ways of making contacts and of opening doors and avenues that you may never even have thought of. You will receive assistance from the most unexpected sources, you may be suddenly struck with the idea of seeing a person that you have not heard from in a long time or calling upon a man you've never seen before. You may get the idea of writing a letter or making a telephone call. Whatever the idea is, follow it. It cannot be too strongly emphasized that you should tell no one just what the words on the cards mean. Don't give anyone an inkling of what you desire. The truth is that when you talk about what you're going to do, you scatter your forces. You lose the close connection you have with the subconscious. 
and you frequently find that unless you do as directed, you will have to start all over again in your program of achievement. Go and tell no man still holds true. Suppose you want a better job or promotion. Not only use the cards, but keep telling yourself constantly and continuously that you are going to get that job. You have already visualized it if you have accepted this science, but the repetition will be the means of driving the suggestion deeply and firmly into the subconscious mind. This may be compared to driving a nail into a board. The first tap puts the nail in place, but it is only by a number of heavy strokes that the nail is driven home. It has been my observation that those who consciously use this science, as well as those who may be using it unconsciously, are people of tremendous energies, virtually human dynamos. They are people who not only use their imagination and hold strong beliefs and convictions, but they are great doers in action. And that brings me to this most important statement. Faith without action is dead. Chapter 6 The Mirror Technique now, there is another device which I call the mirror technique. Before explaining it, I want to tell you how I happen to discover what a truly wonderful thing it is and how it can be used to bring quicker and more effective results. Many years ago, I was the dinner guest of a very wealthy man who owned many patents covering logging and sawmill machinery. He had invited a number of newspaper publishers, bankers, and industrial leaders to his suite in a prominent hotel in order to explain a new method he had devised for mill operations. Dinner was late in being served, and as there had been plenty of liquor offered, the host found himself in an embarrassing state of intoxication. Just before dinner was served, I noticed him staggering into his bedroom and pulling himself up abruptly before his dresser. Thinking I might help him, I followed him to the door of his room. As I stood there, I saw him grab the edge of the dresser top with both hands and stare into the mirror, all the time mumbling as a drunken man sometimes does. Then his words began to make sense, and I moved back a little to watch the performance. I heard him say, John, you old... They tried to get you drunk, but you're going to fool them. You're sober, cold sober. This is your party, and you've got to be sober. As he kept repeating these words while continuing to stare at the reflection of his eyes in the mirror, I noticed that a transfiguration was taking place. His body was becoming more erect. The muscles of his face were tightening and his drunken look was disappearing. The whole performance was over in about five minutes, but in all my experience as a newspaper man and more especially as a police reporter, I had never seen such a rapid change. Not warning him to know that I'd been watching him, I made for the bathroom. When I got back to the dining room, I found the host at the head of the table. And while his face was still a little flushed, to all appearances he was sober. At the end of the dinner, he presented a very dramatic and convincing picture of his new plans. It wasn't until long afterwards when I got a better understanding of the power of the subconscious mind that I understood the science involved in transforming the obviously drunken man into a cold, sober host. 
Many great orators, preachers, actors, and statesmen have used this mirror technique for years. Winston Churchill, according to Drew Pearson, never made a speech of importance unless he made it before a mirror first. Woodrow Wilson also employed the same technique. It's what I call a supercharging method of stepping up the subconscious forces. This mirror technique gives a clue to the power and magnetism of Billy Sunday, the great evangelist. According to Eric Severide in his book, Not So Wild a Dream, Billy Sunday would bound about his hotel room, now peering intently out the window with one foot on the sill, now grasping the dressing table firmly in both hands while lecturing his reflection in the mirror. Now to outline the technique. Stand in front of a mirror. It need not be a full-length mirror, but it should be big enough so that you may at least see your body from the waist up. And those of you who have been in the Army know what it means to come to attention. Stand fully erect, bring your heels together, pull in your stomach, keep your chest out and your head up. Now breathe three or four times until you feel a, a sense of power, strength, and determination. Next, look into the very depths of your eyes. Tell yourself that you're going to get what you want. Name it out loud so that you can see your lips move and you can hear the words. Make a ritual of it. Practice doing it at least twice a day, mornings and evenings, and you'll be surprised at the results. Within a few days, you'll have developed a sense of confidence that you never realized that you could build within yourself. This power will give you that penetrating gaze that causes others to think you are looking into their very souls. Sooner or later, there will come an intensity that will reveal the intensity of your thought. Emerson wrote that every man carries in his eyes the exact indication of his rank. Remember that your own gradation or position in life is marked by what you carry in your eyes. So develop eyes that say confidence. The mirror will help you. A word of warning here. I take it for granted that none of you assume that the techniques I'm showing you here is an open sesame to riches and fame overnight. Certainly it wouldn't be wise to rush into undertakings far beyond your capabilities or your development. But by using this science, you could learn the various steps which will take you to the top. But you must have a plan of action before any program is undertaken. You've got to know what you want and be specific about it. As long as you hold on to the mental picture of your idea and begin to develop it with action, nothing can stop you from succeeding. For the subconscious mind never fails to obey any order given to it clearly and emphatically. Chapter 7. How to Project Your Thoughts. In this section, I want to talk about several points that I think pertain to mind stuff. Call it a potpourri. We seldom realize how much our emotional vibrations affect others and how much we're affected by theirs. An extremely nervous person in a position of authority can put nearly every person associated with him into a nervous state. It's always important to remember that a negative person can raise havoc in an organization or a home. The same amount of damage can be done by a strong negative personality as good can be done by a positive one. When the two are pitted together against one another, 
the negative frequently becomes the more powerful. To get a better understanding of the effect of these suggestive vibrations, you need only to read your varying feelings when entering different offices or homes. The atmosphere, which is the creation of the people living there, can be instantly detected as being upsetting, disturbing, tranquil, or harmonious. The vibrations set up by others affect us much more than we realize. We take on the characteristics of those with whom we are more or less constantly associated. If you want to remain a positive type, avoid associating too much with anyone who has a negative or pessimistic personality. This brings me to another point. <laughs> a person who desires riches must go where the riches are. Alone on a desert island, a man would probably have a tough time eking out a living to say nothing of trying to amass a fortune. So it is in everyday pursuits. Therefore, if you want money, you have to associate yourself with people who have it or who know how to make it. This may sound rather gross, but the truth is that if it's money you're after, you must go where it is and where it is being spent. Also, you must become personally acquainted with those who have the authority to spend it. If you're a salesman selling advertising and you know the head of the firm is the man with the final say, it's a waste of time trying to convince minor clerks and junior executives. The same holds true if you're trying to sell other commodities, or what is more important, trying to sell yourself. And finally, the right mental attitude. Being properly attired, keeping your eyes straight ahead and fixed on your goal, throwing around you the proper aura, which is done by an act of your imagination or an extension of your personal magnetism, will work wonders. Theos Bernard, in his penthouse of the gods, learned this when he was cornered and stoned by a crowd of natives in Tibet. In his book, he says his first reaction was to fight, but the thought was immediately dismissed when he recalled that he had been taught to assume and maintain his aura. Thus he straightened his shoulders, lifted high his head, directed his eyes straight ahead, and moved forward with a firm and rapid stride. Not only did the crowd give way, but others came forward and made a path for him. When man fully comprehends the great power of his mind and earnestly puts it to work, he will have dominion over this earth and everything on it. You yourself have this inner spark, but it must be fanned until the fire is of white-hot intensity, and it must be constantly stoked, which you do by adding fuel, ideas, Ideas, more ideas, and action. Chapter 8 Belief Makes Things Happen I have tried to make plain how this power through belief can be developed and to take you up the ladder as far as you wish to go. It is necessary, though, to point out that it is easy to lose one's belief or faith. Thousands have risen to great heights of success only to stumble, roll, or fall to undreamed-of depths. Others seeking health have appeared to be more or less miraculously cured only to find that in later years or even months there is a recurrence of their ailments. 
There are many weakening factors and influences, all suggestive in nature, which we, in unguarded moments, allow to slip into our subconscious minds. Once these influences begin their destructive work, they can undo all the good accomplished by our constructive forces. So step out in front, head toward the sun, keep facing it, and the dark shadows will not cross your path. I know that it is difficult for the average person who knows nothing of this subject to accept the idea that all is within. But surely the most materialistic person must realize that as far as he himself is concerned, nothing exists on the outside plane unless he has knowledge of it or unless it becomes fixed in his consciousness. It is the image created in his mind that gives reality to the world outside of him. Happiness, sought by many and found by few, therefore is a matter entirely within ourselves. Our environment and the everyday happenings of life have absolutely no effect on our happiness except as we permit mental images of the outside to enter our consciousness. Happiness is wholly independent of position, wealth, or material possessions. It is a state of mind which we ourselves have the power to control. And that control lies with our thinking. Emerson said, what is the hardest task in the world? To think. Obviously, this is so when one considers that most of us are victims of mass thinking and feed upon suggestions from others. We all know that the law of cause and effect is inviolable. Yet how many of us ever pause to consider its workings? The entire course of a man's life has many times been changed by a single thought, which coming to him in a flash became a mighty power that altered the whole current of human events. History is replete with the stories of strong-minded, resolutely willed individuals who, steadfastly holding to their inner convictions, have been able to inspire their fellow man and in the face of tremendous and determined opposition have literally created out of nothing great businesses, huge empires, and new worlds. They had no monopoly of thought power. You and every man and woman have it. All you have to do is use it. You will then become the person you envisage in your imagination. Know yourself. Know your power. Faithfully use the cards and the mirror techniques, and you will get results far beyond your fondest expectations. Just believe that there is a genuine creative magic in believing, and magic there will be. For belief will supply the power which will enable you to succeed in everything you undertake. Back your belief with a resolute will, and you will become unconquerable. A master of men among men, yourself. You have been listening to The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol. Listen to The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol. It could change the course of your life. Chapter 1. How to Tap the Power of Belief.